and we've been able to continuously reduce our impact by using liners made with 100% recycled water bottles, gel packs mm -hmm. that are able to be you know safe for the drain and then are able to be uh, recycled. And you know, we're de constantly developing different partnerships on how we can continue to bring this to life and you know holding our courier partner trying to get them on board or find the courier partners who are carbon offsetting their emissions. Mm -hmm. So what are all the different aspects of the business that we can look at and, and really do our part for the environment and the restaurants, you know, switching to compostable takeout containers, paper bags versus plastic bags. So these are some of the things that we've done and some of the things we're going to continue to do to help the environmental footprint. And this is the transparency on the supply chain side is something that's continuously growing. Hi there, food enthusiasts. My name is Chris Rajkowski, your host again today for the Future Foodcast, where we talk with thought leaders in today's food industry and discuss the trends and technologies that are shaping the future of food. Very happy to have Khalil Kamis with us today. He is the CEO of Crafty Ramen in the Toronto area. Welcome to the program today, Camille. Thank you very much for having me to here today. And I'm very excited for the conversation ahead. Well, you and I had a great opportunity to talk before the holidays here in North America and really exciting to learn about what you're doing with Crafty and uh, the interesting pivots and very, very productive pivots that you've had over the recent years. But before we get into talking about Crafty, let's hear a little bit more about your background. What were you doing up to the point where you plunge into being the CEO of this company? Yeah, so, um, you know, interesting story. Uh, my parents are refugees to Canada from Uganda. So Idi Amin era came here um, with really nothing in their pockets, were forced to leave their country without taking anything with them. And our family has always had a passion for hospitality. So my grandfather back in Uganda had restaurant and hotel. So after many years here of, of saving and, and working in uh, factories and many other jobs like that, uh, my father and his brother scraped together enough money to buy a small restaurant downtown Guelph. And they ran that for about 20 years together uh, and really were the first people in town bringing Indian food to the consumers. So they were pioneers of bringing cultured food to the small town of Guelph, Ontario many years ago. And I really grew up in that restaurant and it was a traditional family restaurant. And probably when I was too young to work, that would pay me 10 cents a dish rack to do some dishes and put them through the dishwasher. Um, so I always had a passion for hospitality growing up in that space. And as I grew older, um, my parents bought uh, franchise restaurants. So I worked in those all throughout high school um, and helped them out a little bit throughout university at my University of Guelph grad. Uh, go Griffins. After university, I, I um, worked in the banking industry um, for a few years, and uh, my degree is in economics and finance, and thought I might do the finance route. There was a point in time where I ended up going to help my father back in his franchise restaurants and, and took a leave from the finance world and really enjoyed what we were, what we were doing, and the entrepreneurial spirit came out. Uh, helped my, my family open a couple more restaurants and really um, enjoyed that experience and wanted to continue to grow that and see if we could do something uh, outside of a franchise world. So for a long time, I was looking for different opportunities that excited me um, and really brought out the entrepreneurial spirit and uh, passion. I met our co-founders of Crafty Ramen about four years ago, Jared and Mickey Farrell, uh, after they had opened one small noodle shop downtown Guelph. 
And my first couple times going in there, I was just blown away by the atmosphere, the food, and it, just incredible what uh, a true mom and pop had put together with, you know, really great food backgrounds, but not big business backgrounds. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, <clears throat> one of my favorite things about food and hospitality is the feeling that you can get when you have a three-star Michelin meal or that jumbo hot dog before the Blue Jays game or that empanada on the side of the street in Colombia, or that crappy ramen bowl at, sitting at the bar, watching the kitchen do their thing and interacting with the chefs. The feeling for me in all those experiences, albeit the price are completely different, is the same. It's, it's that feeling of perfect hospitality where the food, the atmosphere, and the people all come together. And you know that was the feeling that really sparked the conversation with myself, Jared, and Mickey to team up and see what we could do. So the original plan was to grow restaurants as that was, you know, I had a fair franchise background, uh, understood it pretty well. So we opened our second restaurant downtown Kitchener about four months before the COVID pandemic set in. And we built a fairly large restaurant with a bit of a commissary production kitchen in the back um, with the hopes of doing prep and production for multiple locations. So we make everything from scratch in house. So to get some efficiencies, we wanted to do all that in one place and then share it with the other restaurant. Fast forward four months, uh, the pandemic is we're all very used to nowadays um, set in and we were stuck with a big, empty, beautiful, shiny restaurant. So we needed to figure out ways to, you know, the word nowadays is pivot, but really we wanted to figure out how to bring the crappy ramen experience home to the customers because my favorite part and a lot of our favorite parts about the noodle shops is the open kitchen, watching your food get made and having this communication and interaction with different people. Um, so we started making meal kits on a local level for pickup, store pickup. And we would put them online and they would sell out in a matter of minutes. And we were only able to produce one or 200 a day at that time. And during that process, we started to have people on social media sending us messages about, can you ship this to Toronto? Can you ship this to Halifax? Can you ship this to San Diego? And it was absolutely incredible the response we started getting. You know, so we figured why can't we ship this? And when you look at the landscape of food today, you know, the, the technology that is enabling us to be able to do these things is, is continuously going to grow at a rapid pace. And there are huge players shipping food and, and meal kits and things like that to homes. So um, we did some homework and got together with our team and everybody was on board for the idea. So over six, seven month period, we developed our direct to consumer website uh, our design, our packaging, and, and that whole experience and the instructions and all the different things that need to happen to bring that to life at home. And we launched that in December of 2020. And the last year has been amazing. The response has been great. We have about 1,400 monthly or biweekly subscribers that are getting regularly delivered ramen, uh, as well as some other great uh, food products that we serve and dry goods and chili oils and our Nikki, one of our partners, curates beautiful bowls and chopsticks from Japan. And that's been a huge success. And we've had organically amazing partners uh, in mom and pop grocers across Ontario reaching out and wanting to sell our products. So we've organically grown into over 100 grocers across Ontario. And we're, we're super thankful for the, just the community behind the product. Mm, that's an amazing background and a, and a very tasty background. I happen to have a special interest in ramen myself. And and you do, I think when you started describing what kind of brought you into crafty 
which you carried with you from your other experiences, the this feeling of sitting at uh, a ramen bar, for example, and watching the production process, smelling what's going on, interacting with people, um, which certainly resonates with your community focus as well. But that you know strikes a chord with me because I have the exact same experiences, especially in a, a colder area, sitting at a, a bar, watching ramen being prepared by real professionals who love what they're doing. Um, is almost as good as eating it itself. And you built the business originally around that concept, certainly with some scaling focus. Now, you've, as you described, very successfully pivoted to essentially an e-commerce model as well. And maybe we talk a little bit about how do you help to translate this experience of sitting at a ramen bar, um, watching food be prepared and enjoying that, with, you know, well, recently, of course, people being having limitations of, you know, participating in that activity, but also you can now have a, you know, a continental reach for your product. How do you translate that in-person experience to one that is essentially online and e-commerce as your marketplace? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And, and, you know, we try to ground ourselves in, at the end of the day, it's people that are making the food and it's people that are eating the food. So while the technology is enabling the connection between your home and our team who has made the food and our chefs, how do we ensure that that people feel um, along with the experience is not lost? So, you know, throughout our communications, we try and have as much of a personable experience as possible. So, you know, as a small example is, is writing emails as me, as I, as our team and not as a company. And engaging in our email communications that way, um, Jared and Mickey send a letter to a digital letter to everybody who purchases and thanks them and give give them a little bit of background of their history. And then we just encourage people to get together with their families and friends and, and make the food together so they can have that connection and that experience together. Yeah, and I, I, we've seen this, I think, in other podcasts here with uh, really innovative and passionate entrepreneurs like yourself of having that connection of authenticity with customers and, and maintaining that, if you will, electronically has become a bit of an art these days. And, and you certainly have done a great job at that. Now, a part of this, and you know, again, from some of our prior discussions, I understand and Crafty is not only selling food products, but really creating a community of people that are both maybe interested in each other, but also obviously interested in your product. And, and maybe tell us a little bit more about how you look at building community around your business and your products. And, and what does it mean to the founding team to do that? Our why at Crafty Ramen is crafting meaningful connections so that we can make a difference in the communities we serve. And the, the really important part about having a why and not being focused on what you do is it allows us to continue to grow and pivot and, and support community. So, you know, there's a lot of negative that has come out in the COVID pandemic, but one of my favorite things that's come out is this renewed sense of community, especially in the hospitality industry, being one of the hardest hit. So pre-COVID pandemic, it was very competitive and it was a very win, I need to win, I need to win mentality. And after the pandemic or throughout it, because we're still in it, you see biz restaurants and businesses in the hospitality industry coming together and working together. And the competition has fallen off and now, now it's become a lot more of a renewed sense of community. And the cool thing about technology is the community is now bigger than just the city you operate in. Mm -hmm. And how we continue to, to leverage that is 
one thing we're going to continue to do um, with the infrastructure and the customer base that we've built out is how can we make a difference with other Asian inspired restaurants and then bring their products onto our platform and we can expand their reach because the restaurant model is slash was broken. So, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the pandemic, a lot of restaurateurs have figured out different ways to create revenue channels, which I think is a silver lining um, and mm-hmm. really important. You know, you had all the raising rents and raising food costs and all these different cost pressures and, and labor increasing on restaurants and not really wanting to raise prices because we want to keep our customers and guests happy at the end of the day. So mm-hmm. how can we leverage what we built to help other small restaurateurs have a bigger reach and and really bring that why to life and, and make a difference with them. It sounds like what you're describing is, if you will, a distributed online community of restaurateurs, uh, entrepreneurs in the food business that are, as you described, helping each other out um, versus especially, you know, when you think these huge chain restaurants that, you know, they have their stakes, you land in a city, you know where they all are. How do you see that growing up? And it, it sounds, you know, frankly, it sounds a bit like uh, it's related to other things going on digitally these days and decentralization, um, everything from currencies to other business models that are bringing people to online marketplaces where the market serves the people versus the people are just a product for that market. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the great things about all the, the new technologies that are able are letting us uh, execute like this. It's expanding your reach as a restaurant. If you're, if you're willing to create a meal kit or a product that is able to be shipped to a customer or distributed to a customer, or your reach is now expanded. And it's one of Mickey's favorite things because she really, one of her main reasons for creating Crafty Ramen is she was missing a little bit of a sense of community moving here from Japan and, you know, being a bit different and not fully versed in the language. So craft, the one Guelph shop was really her home. And now that we're able to spread this crafty ramen across Ontario and, um, you know, our goals by the end of the year are, you know, into other Canadian provinces, she's, her heart is warm in the fact that we're able to, the community is much larger than just the city of Guelph at, at, with how it started. So it's, it's very exciting. Well, I think there's a lot more to describe there and we may circle back on that, but you know, there's some other I think very interesting aspects of the business that you developed in terms, you've already described how you pivoted the organization essentially from a restaurant into a broad range of services for food services, essentially. But I'd also like to explore what you're doing on your supply chain side. Along with these communities, we see sustainability being an increasingly important decision factor on where consumers are spending their money. And uh, tell us a little bit about how that is impacting your supply chain. Yeah, so we're, you know, we're continuously developing our environmental and social governance and, and it's it's very, very important to us, especially as we enter this world of direct to consumer, which, you know, can be viewed as very wasteful. Um, there's packaging and liners and ice and stuff like that that need to go out to customers. So um, from when we started to where we are today, just on the direct to consumer side, um, we've been able to continuously reduce our impact by using liners made with 100% recycled water bottles, gel packs mm-hmm. that are able to be, you know, safe for the drain and then are able to be uh, recycled. And you know, we're de- constantly developing different partnerships on how we can continue to bring this to life. And you know, holding our courier partner, trying to get 
them on board or find the career partners who are carbon offsetting their emissions. Mm -hmm. So what are all the different aspects of the business that we can look at and, and really do our part for the environment and the restaurants, you know, switching to compostable takeout containers, paper bags versus plastic bags. Um, so these are some of the things that we've done and some of the things we're going to continue to do to help the environmental footprint. And this is the transparency on the supply chain side is something that's continuously growing. Customers more and more want to know where their food came from. And it's, it's a very tough thing to negotiate or navigate. Mm -hmm. um, we see some fast food chains doing a, a very good job at promoting Canada and making you feel like their beef or their chicken is a Canadian product, whereas they're actually going outside of Canada and purchasing that product. But their marketing is so good that we believe it's Canadian. So mm. how can we work with our supplier partners to really bring a further transparency on where our products come from, what our products are made out of? And you know, today we're really proud to say we make everything at house. We source, source as much locally as possible. But how do we show that to the customer and not just say that is one of the challenges and one of the things we're really excited to tackle this year. Yeah, I want to jump into that transparency topic uh, a little bit more deeply, but I also wanted to ask you in your approach in bringing these sustainability benefits to your business and your products, certainly a significant part of that is leadership driven from yourself and your business partners. What is the feedback like from customers and how you're, they may be asking questions about your sustainability situation and how they are or are not maybe significantly shaping decisions that you're making on how you grow your business with, with sustainability in mind. For sure. So, you know, we're deeply connected to our customers, our, our team. Uh, we do a daily review of all of our customer feedback surveys, and, and that's what's allowed us to really be connected to them and adapt and change based on their feedback. So when we first started, um, it was really out of necessity. So we had a styrofoam container and we quickly learned in a matter of weeks that there is no way we can grow this business using styrofoam. So we went out and said, okay, what can we replace this with? That is a lot, a lot better and, and, and easier on our environment. And our team has really, it's leader led for sure, but our team has really taken it and, and run with it and are helping us develop these initiatives. Um, one of the ladies on our customer service team has created a whole guide on different recycling procedures across different municipalities that we serve because we do get those questions from our customers. Can I recycle this? Is this recyclable? Well, in certain municipalities, certain items are and other municipalities, they're not. So trying to provide the right answer versus just saying, yes, it is recyclable. And then how do we bring that to light in a part of our website where customers can go and see that for themselves? Mm -hmm. Um, so we're really excited that the team is super on board. And one of the reasons I was really excited to work with Jared and Mickey when we first started is they believe in this when they open their first restaurant. So um, when we make our veggie stock, after that stock is made, the mushrooms are then rehydrated with a pickling brine and they become our pickled shiitakes. The tomato... Um, gets mixed with some other spices and dried and, and blitzed into our tomato powder that's used in some of our ramen. And the kombu, same thing, is mixed with some other seaweeds and that becomes our synergy powder or, or our, our seafood flavoring for our bowls. So how can we upcycle as many things as possible? One thing that we were really proud of in 2020 is we started using spent hens um, for our chicken stock. So when hens have fulfilled their egg laying life, 
they generally just go into waste. So we take those hens and we use them to make our chicken stock. And then we use that chicken stock, the, the remnants of that, and then into our rich chicken stock. And then that gets added duck. And then that's a second process. So how can we continue to reuse ingredients instead of just putting them in, in the garbage? And I think one of the most important things that's going to come out of sustainability in the future is really the upcycling and reusing will really help reduce that environmental impact. Yeah, and this is a really interesting point. And we've seen entire businesses start up on the um, activity around upcycling and use food that would have been landfilled before. It's perfectly good, just doesn't meet the uh, the visual requirements for a grocery store or something like that. But it, it sounds like you're probably also realizing at the end of the day, some cost savings in this. And I, I think this is what a lot of businesses have seen over the past decades when they look at efficiencies and using materials to their fullest. It's not just a matter of convenience. So we're not going to, we're going to throw this away because it's low value. Are, are you finding, if you will, financial efficiencies and being able to actually be more sustainable? For sure. So we'll, anytime we reuse a product, instead of we could throw away those pickled shiitakes and, and buy new ones or throw away those shiitakes and buy new ones to pickle them. That would be probably a little bit easier, but it's mm -hmm. more wasteful and, and definitely more costly. So by upcycling different products, we definitely see a, a cost reduction in our restaurants. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, entrepreneurs like yourself have a lot to teach the larger sector about, you know, not only how to be more sustainable, but the, you know, the positive benefits to the financial bottom line along with that. So that's, that's exciting in and of itself. And you mentioned a word earlier uh, a few times in transparency and what that means to your customers. And maybe let's dig a little bit into that. Interested to learn more, what are your customers looking for in transparency of what's in their food? And, and how are you bringing that to them, to them today? And maybe how might that be evolving in the future? Yeah, so I think the, you know, the overall arching trend um, that's been happening for a few years now is you know, what is in my food and where does it come from? Um, so we try to, to show you know, our ingredients are on our websites, our calorie counts for all of our direct consumer products are on our websites. You know, we're under the, the size where we need to show that stuff, but we, we want to mm. show that because at the end of the day, our, our food is wholesome. It's calorie packed, but it's all made in house. So the word healthy, is it healthy? Well, it's wholesome. It's all made from, you know, real food. There's mm -hmm. no processed ingredients. We need to ensure that when we look at nutritional labels, that is not the only thing that we look at um, when we're making food decisions. Mm -hmm. So what are the ingredients that go inside of that product and where did they come from are, in my opinion, just as important as what is the nutritional table spit out on the other side. Mm -hmm. And we see that from our customers uh, because they come back over and over because they know that the food is wholesome. And how do we bring that to light in the e-commerce world? will be a bit of a challenge for us in the marketing team. And the biggest challenge is, is to make it feel genuine and authentic and not a marketing gimmick. Authenticity, another key word that uh, we hear a lot these days, but we've talked about in many different aspects, technology and community and transparency. And I, I feel like what we're seeing now is a, is a collision of all of these interests, as well as those interests being elevated by consumer groups, especially consumer groups, I would say in their 30s and below, who have a very strong interest in community and sustainability, et cetera. You mentioned, for example, you have a lot of information on your website. 
A lot of us walk around with our smartphones essentially glued to us, which is an exact gateway, a very efficient gateway into a lot of information. How do you see that for Crafty Ramen, that technical capability enabling more transparency with your products? So when somebody receives their kit, um, they can more conveniently really understand the story behind it. But just the, the quick instant access to information, um, I think, is one of the things that are going to hold um, all of us accountable to our mm. transparency and to our story and what we're putting out there. Because it's very easy now to do some, some quick research and learn whether a business uh, is, is truly being transparent in their marketing messages or if they're just trying to leverage it for sales and mm attractions and views and likes and clicks. So I think that's, you know, one of the great things about technology and, and the quick access to information is it, it's hard to hide. Yeah. I feel like we're all, you know, in this space trying to sort out how do we take advantage of these technical capabilities to, especially in, in doing what Crafty Ramen is working on and focusing on community, bringing these communities together efficiently. Um, you know, so at some point people aren't going to go hunt for your website you know, they're going to be brought into the community very smoothly and efficiently when they receive your product or sit down at the ramen bar in your, you know, real life restaurant and understand the transparency, the authenticity of not only the owners and the leadership, but of the people that are, you know, standing across from them, essentially interacting with that meal. And we see, I think a lot of instances where, for example, scan this QR code, and learn something about it. Do you see that as being another gateway for essentially delivering that authenticity and transparency to your consumers? Definitely. And, and you know, you hit a, a good nail there, you know, outside of the digital side of scanning the QR code and how different ways to bring the story and the information to light. You know, everything that we do is because of our team and our people. You know, we wouldn't be where we are today um, without them. So there are huge drivers in also holding us accountable to you know, the different ESG goals that we're trying to bring to life this year and, and really developing that. And without those key people, we wouldn't be where we are today. So, mm-hmm. so we're very, very thankful for the team and very thankful to have like-minded individuals on our team that continuously push us to be better. You know, this is, it's actually something that we haven't explored too much on this podcast series, but as you said, your team is very important for you. And there, this is obvious to think about when you, when you say it, it sounds silly, but how does your team wrap into your community? And especially these days when we're hearing a lot of challenges with getting good quality staff, compensation levels, et cetera, how is that changing for Crafty Ramen and making your team both happier, but also a, you know, a more valuable part of the business? Yeah, so I think it's a, a very important topic that we all need to be extremely focused on. Um, there's been a shift from the employer really having all the power to the people having the power, which I think uh, is very important. And people get to choose where they work. And when we do interviews now, people are interviewing us just as much as we're interviewing them. them. And mm-hmm. that paradigm shift has happened over the last decade or so. And, and I think it's really important. So over this year, we're going to continue to develop what is our people side of our business look like, both from compensation, benefits, contribution. We try to link everything that we do back to our why or goals 
or priorities. So everything that we are doing has purpose and, and sight line and vision. And one of the things that we're exploring right now is, you know, what does a living wage look like inside of the hospitality industry? And are the consumers willing to pay for price increases so that the people in the restaurants on the line um, we're able to bring them up to a living wage. So we're proud to say we're not far off today, but where do we need to go to get there? Because without those awesome people, we can't do what we do today. So they're just important. Everybody in the, in, in the company is just important as you know, myself, Jared and Mickey. Um, you know, mm-hmm. We really see the, the team as, yeah, as equals and equal contributors. Excellent. Well, you and your partners really have a very healthy, holistic view of your business of building community, of providing healthy products. And it's, it's clear that you're being successful, um, at least in part because of those dedications. What do you see happening for Crafty Ramen through 2022 and beyond? It's an interesting question because as we go down this growth path, we try to lay out these priorities and goals and, and things like that as much as possible. So I think continuing to, to hone in on the product, launch new products, bring other restaurants and community members onto our team, and then continuously working with our people to just always improve, fine tune. One of our core values at Crafty Ramen is Kaizen. It's the Japanese word for continuous improvement. Nothing is done, nothing is set in stone. And we we really try to embody that infinite game mindset where there's no, this is the, this is a, there's no like winning. How do you mm-hmm. measure if you've won in business? There's no way to measure that. So really embodying that infinite game mindset. And instead of saying, hey, we won, celebrating the things that we do well together as a team and, and hitting our, our internal goals versus trying to compete on an external. Yeah, again, an extension of, I would say, your holistic view of growing the business. Do you see your growth being primarily through e-commerce or back as you know our wonderful adventure with COVID, you know, hopefully settles itself down as gravitating more toward restaurants. How do you see that developing? Our major focus today is on e-commerce and uh, grocery because we you know, we truly believe that e-commerce and this way of interacting with food brands is really changing. And at the start, we talked about how do we keep the, the people side of that connected as we continuously evolve into this new world of mm-hmm. uh, interacting with various food brands. So that's the growth focus, but we we love restaurants. That's who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, we love the, there's nothing that replaces that in-person connection. So we will explore one or two other restaurant locations to see if that's something that we can continue to grow. And we'll do it in a different way. So we'll add our marketplace inside of our restaurants and we'll have you know, different Asian inspired products that you are difficult to find in your traditional grocery stores. Because as I mentioned earlier, that traditional restaurant model is very difficult to operate profitably and grow today. So how can we leverage what we've learned in the direct to consumer marketplace and all these other amazing businesses that we've uh, worked with along the way and bring that to life inside of our restaurants to add a different revenue channel that could make it more sustainable long-term. At the end of the day, you know, I think as much as uh, some of us and the technologists around us, like even myself, have a a really, I'd say, bright view of what's going on in the metaverse and digital everything, at the end of the day, we're still humans. And uh, it always comes back to that in-person experience. 
as with your company, you can export that to a large degree with very successful e-commerce um, activities. But it sounds like your anchor point will continue to be a very positive, authentic community around restaurants and how that is then exported with products that are either through a, a market in the restaurant or an online um, experience. Is that how you see things growing up? Yeah, exactly. And you know, when you get our product to home, you get a, a video of Jared walking you through a kit, you get our shop uh, Spotify playlist that we play in the restaurant. So these are different touches that we're trying to bring to the at-home experience to continue that people feel in connection. We've been touching around this, but you've kind of shown a light on this integrative experience that you're exporting to a person's home. And maybe tell us a, li a little bit more, how does Crafty Ramen bring that to its customer? For example, I get my delivered uh, meal kit. What's my experience when I'm going through that to enjoy these things that you're talking about? Yeah, so it starts with you know the, the thank you email, like I mentioned from Jared and Mickey, and then you get touch points along the way. Hey, your, your courier's on the way. We're, we're trying to get the courier's name put into those text message experiences. Mm -hmm. So it becomes more personalized and there's a bit, bit more of a connection. You open your box and um, so you get your instruction emails with that video of, of Jared. I, I mentioned walking you through a kit, you open your box, you get some, some nice instructions in there. We have a, a letter um, that comes from Jared and Mickey again, just congratulations, you're a noodle head. Um, you know, please, please share with us and we get to connect with our customers on social media. We get incredible pictures and videos of families at home and kids slurping noodles for the first time and moms mm -hmm. being like, I can't believe that my child loved this and enjoyed it. So those are what keeps us going and what mm -hmm. really makes is able to allow us to keep in connection with our customers throughout that experience. So mm -hmm. it's, um, those are the stories that that really we love and the team gets, the team just shares them on our Slack channels. Like, oh my God, look at what this person said. Look at these images of, of this family. So those are the heart, heartwarming moments that yeah. we really enjoy. That's exciting. And like you said, it's encouraging. We, I think uh, passionate entrepreneurs, you know, we don't just uh, stay in the business for the financial reasons. And quite often it's more of the, the passion and emotion that really drives things forward. And the great thing about what you are doing is that you know, right now, maybe your focus is in, you know, the a province in Canada, for example, but that is just as exportable to across Canada, across North America, and other countries just because of e-commerce and this instant communication that you're able to have. Yeah, and it's, it's definitely in, in the goals and in the trajectory. You know, our mission is to become the household name for ramen across North America. So, you know, we're going to see how we can continue to grow. And that might be a combination of restaurants and grocery and e-commerce. It might just be e-commerce. So, you know, we've really been doing e-commerce for almost 12 months. Mm -hmm. um, so it's still very new to all of us. None of us have any traditional experience, I mean, which is why we're grounded in our values and our why. So mm -hmm. constantly learning, launch, fail, learn, launch, fail, learn, and staying mm -hmm. agile connected to that customer, reading those feedback surveys so we can iterate change and just continue to improve that experience. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've been successful to where we are today. And you know, we're really excited this year to grow our team, add some people that may have that traditional e-com experience that can really help us take this to another level. Well, this is, a, it's a really inspiring business experience that you're having here. It's Thank you. amazing to see that not just the business, but the community 
that Crafty Ramen is building up. And I really thank you for being on the program with us today, Khalil. It's uh, inspiring for me, and I, I think our, our viewers will also be excited about this. And hopefully, uh, many of them will also get a chance to uh, try your products um, based out of really, I guess, the greater Ontario area at the moment, but growing nationally and, and intercontinentally, hopefully, <laughs> in the near yes. future. That those are the goals. And thank you so much, Jim, and to everybody at Future Foodcast. It was a wonderful conversation. And these things just continue to, to make the mind think and wander and um, really enjoyed the time today. So thank you. Well, you have a good day and uh, excellent 2022. And we look forward to talking again. Thank you. We'll be in touch. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry.